Science and Wisdom Live is a project of Jamyang London Buddhist Center, a non-profit organization. Please consider supporting us with a donation to help us keep our podcasts and videos free and ad-free. To support us now, please visit our website at scienceandwisdomlive.com. episode is an excerpt of one of our Science and Wisdom Dialogues. To listen to the full recording, please follow the link in the podcast description. When the Buddha became enlightened, uh, he spent 49 days processing the experience and kind of coming to terms with what he was going to do with this experience he had just had. And when he left the Bodhi tree and he was about to embark on his, on, on his teachings, he had decided through his great compassion that he couldn't keep this gift to himself, that he was going to be the teaching Buddha. Um, he immediately became very ill and, and almost died from the first food that he took. And um, he was challenged to die by his nemesis, Mara. And Mara said, die, because he was uh, always trying to undercut the Buddha. And the Buddha said, no. And at that point, this is the story that's missing. He laid out uh, his blueprint or his intention for becoming a Buddha. And if this story were told, if it had been told all along, I think all this gender imbalance would not even be here today. But he said, no, I can't die. He was 35 years old. He had just attained enlightenment. And he said, I have a job to do in the world. And um, he, he laid it out that his job was to bring the Dharma uh, equally to uh, the monastics, men and women, and the lay population, men and women. So this is the fourfold assembly that he committed to. I identify very much with what Cynthia is saying about the, the male uh, hierarchy and the patriarchal structure that, you know, through especially the monastic world, because they were the literate ones who wrote the stories down, uh, where women began to be erased almost as soon as there was literacy. But if we could go back to that original story where women were always part of his uh, ministry, always part of his intention, not just to learn the Dharma, but to become wise and accomplished and to then become teachers. All across the four assembly, he wanted teachers, and we have today amazing women teachers, men teachers, monastic teachers, and so forth. This is the fulfillment of his mission, and this is where I think today we need a revival of recognizing uh, equally uh, the gender roles of, of men and women. Um, and also he was uh, egalitarian in terms of caste too. He did not discriminate and it was a heavily casted system um, in early Buddhism. And he uh, taught equally to men and women of any caste. So this is the story that I think needs to be brought back as the sort of the original Buddhist story. I think that it's really important to emphasize this because Mahaprajapati set out when she first asked to be ordained and with all her followers, her 500 followers, she checked with the Buddha whether or not women were capable of achieving, attaining enlightenment. And he said they were. And mm -hmm. I think um, Cynthia, Jesus obviously felt the same thing. Um, you, as you say, you go into, I like this bit of your book very, very much, when you go into the shark-infested waters, as you call it, of um, Mary Magdalene actually, in a way, being having her and Jesus having 
a strong relationship together, which was passionate on both sides. And she actually, you, I think you say at one point, that she actually helped Jesus evolve. So I wondered if, I mean, which is a kind of shocking <laughs> for, yeah. I imagine, most church people to actually hear that she actually managed to teach him something. Um, I wonder if you could expand a little bit on that too. Jesus had to do a lot of rapid shifting in his inner sense of himself and his mission when he met Mary Magdalene. It was also to set up in the text that he was going to out John the Baptist, John the Baptist. He was going to grow in that model and be a solitary desert ascetic. And of course, the soon the first thing he did after he received his baptism in the River Jordan was to go out in the desert for 40 days. I mean, it was all following the same kind of if androcentric, is that what you call it, model? And, uh, yes, androcentric. Yeah, of, <laughs> of, of the way a way the solitary male pursues the, the path. And then bang, who knows how and why the first meeting, but he's uh, he's suddenly in the presence of the Mary Magdalene, and he knows, you know, I think instantly in that moment that it isn't going to look quite like the plot as originally written. And that his life was going to be lived in the tension between uh, old, sky, old style prophecy, you know, the old uh, Ezekiel's and, and Jeremiah's and, and something new uh, that was much more uh, geared toward healing, towards exorcism, which is the other part of it that I think that Jesus actually knew a lot more about the, the shamanic traditions as we call them today's than the church is willing to credit that he he knew how to work with the earth. He knew how to work with the, the earth-based knowledge of healing. Uh, and again, there are clues for that all through the gospel but that we don't pay attention to because we just pass right by him when we tell the story. He did everything because he was the son of God. I think Mary Magdalene basically called Jesus to the path of kenosis uh, or substituted love rather than the path of prophetic uh, clarity and, and, and judgment. I mean, she, she was the one who actually, actually flipped him into what he was on earth to do, which had been predicted by the prophet Ezekiel. I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Well, he had to go through that in his own personal life. Mm -hmm. And out of that, he learned and he forwarded a path that doesn't have anything to do with, you know, celibacy or male entitlement or hierarchy that as the heart bends and learns to surrender and learns to be gentle, which it can do in any tradition, uh, uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual enlightenment is attained. It's not exclusively reveal, reserved for male celibates. She weaned his path away from the John the Baptist models to uncharted waters uh, uh, that we have not yet to take him up on fully. To me, this whole discussion we're having here today is about refinding the balance between uh, the balance between masculine, feminine, in both in ourselves and in the world at large, and particularly within religious institutions and 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 foundations, um, because before. We had before the patriarchy. It was the time. It was the time of the goddess. So, what do you think that the feminine 
brings to the table of spirituality and and indeed to the world today of um, you know increasing happiness generally happiness and lessening suffering and um what yes what does the feminine have to offer i'll go to wendy <laughs> wendy what do you think the feminine has to offer um what i think we've lost in erasing uh the women and the feminine aspect, and I'll use that word also in Buddhism, is also the relational uh, models that the women brought forward early on. It was not the solitary journey to enlightenment that the Buddha is portrayed as having undertaken. It was a relational journey, and the women were always um, finding potential and possibility as a collective of women, and they found power and strength and support among themselves. And that is a is a theme that begins from the moment you meet Mahaprajapati is more or less the leader or the most um, familiar of the women, but the whole journey, her whole life, um, and it, well, from the time she became queen to the time of her death was in this sort of assembly within this relational uh, assembly of women, and in fact, they all um, chose their parinirvana, their death moments together. So I think we've lost that. I think that's something the feminine brings that the male tends to um, ignore or isolate. But when the oral traditions were written down, um, they were written down in many different ways. And the stories that are most illuminating to what I feel was the original way they were told, which always included women in the sacred feminine and this notion of the earth and our um, in the inseparability of ourselves with the earth, um, I feel came or come to us today more intact through those stories that were recorded directly from the oral traditions without going through what I call the monastic filter. And the monastic filter would say, oh no, let's strip this out and strip that out. You know, it's too much of the feminine, too much of the female. And I agree, it's not gendered. Um, I think that the wisdom and nurturance of the earth belongs to all of us. Um, it has become gendered, and I think that's just a tool that we can use. But obviously, men and women can cultivate that potential equally. Yeah. Yes. Cynthia. <laughs> well, I, I find that actually a much more complex question than it looks on the surface. Because I think in the final analysis, it's not about balance, but it's about a fusion at a whole new level in a new structure of consciousness. And, uh, you know, I'm a great believer in, you know, I'm a great fan of the maps of the, of the evolutions of the structures of consciousness, particularly the one of Jean Gebser that says that each of these great errors of, of conscious history have got their unique place. And of course, the, the, the earlier days of matriarchal culture were boomerang backed by a domination of male culture, yeah. which has basically continued, uh, up to our day, but it's not just going to swing back to a balance point. What, what people are really seeing is that we need to step forward into a whole new shared uh, understanding of what it means to be a human being. As I've looked at the, the women mystics in the Christian tradition and, and leaders that I've been most gravitated to, uh, the fruit of their work, the fruit of their integration of male and female looks different from almost anything. Uh, they can be very, very fierce. They can be as, as, as you know, the, some of them sitting in the desert were as, uh, as separated and as 
isolated and as rigid and, you know, uh, as, as any of the guys. But when they come together, there's a kind of holistic profundity. When you look at, at Julian of Norwich or Hildegard of von Bingham uh, uh, or, uh, or Hedrick, these brilliant, these brilliant mystics right down to uh, Teresa of Lisieux, they speak with an absolute authority and power, which is yet gentle. It's not aggressive, it's not, uh, it's not brutalizing, it's not rigid, but it's absolutely fierce. And all I can say is it's rounded. And the male and the female are, are profoundly integrated within their being. These women are movers and shapers, but they do it in a way uh, that honors and, uh, and redeems uh, the wholeness of creativity, of nature. And I think that's a foretaste of what we're going to see in the new structure of consciousness as it emerges. I feel there's a ripening, there's a receptivity that there wasn't, say, 100 years ago. And I, I get that feedback from people. I mean, in, in, um, Buddhism, in Tibetan Buddhism, there's the notion of the terma or something that is hidden until it's ready to be found, and ready to be um, understood. And I feel that these stories in many ways have been hidden um, and have been not seen because we weren't ready for them. And I feel we're ready for them now. And I, I always encourage when I teach the stories, don't just listen to me, keep telling them, keep telling them. I want the paradigm of Buddhism to shift, to integrate now what we've lost, integrate the feminine now into it. Um, in terms of the Dharma centers and the integration there, you know, I still see male dominance a lot, um, but in terms of the monastic world, I'm not a nun. I don't, I can't speak for how the changes are appearing, but I'm very heartened by the, the organization, Sakyadita, for example, that it speaks for the nuns and for equality within the monastic world. I'm very heartened by the nunneries that are being founded, for example, by Jetson Tenzin Pelmo, who give uh, equal teachings, teachings of equal caliber to the young women instead of dumbing down the Dharma or what they're supposed to learn, which was more traditional. The women were getting the dumbed down version or they were just chanting or they were, you know, housed adjacent to a monastery so they could cook and clean for the men. Uh, you know, all that is changing. And I think with the tremendous love and support of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama and the Karmapa, um, and many, many male teachers, scholars that I meet and also other Buddhist male teachers. It's a big battle. Patriarchy dies hard. I think that the monastic women know that better than any of us. So I think we're ready for them now. And I'm excited about that. And I'm excited to see this work continue uh, through all kinds of different avenues. Certainly not me, you know, just me, but it, I'm just excited. I think there's a groundswell of interest um, and um, excitement around these stories and restoring Buddhism uh, to the original model of what the Buddha envisioned, uh, which upon his death, he said, I'm ready to die because I feel I've succeeded in um, bringing the Dharma equally to men and women, lay and monastic. And so he was ready to go. His legacy, he felt, was ready to go. And we're the ones who've messed it up. Um, and I think we're ready to restore what he wanted. And I think this is a, would be really wonderful if we had you know, the teachings of respect for the female and the female, the feminine accomplishments are more introduced into churches and temples and monasteries and 
so that it pervades outwards into a world which is more which is more has more respect. Um, I was very interested, Wendy, that um, Mahaprajapati, according to your your research, did achieve our hatship. And you even yes. and you even said that um, her let me get it right that her her death was more miraculous than the Buddha's, which is extraordinary. And I think if that was well known and taught throughout the Buddhist world, there would be much less disdain towards the feminine in general. And Cynthia, I hope that the stories of Mary Magdalene and her absolute not just her love and devotion towards Jesus, but her also, her also powerful spiritual attainments herself. And the fact that she was being recognized as the apostle to the apostles, that she actually taught the apostles. She was the head apostle. I hope that gets out too, so that it actually balance, well, we're not allowed to use balance, but anyway, it kind of evens up and gives much more integration between healthy male, healthy masculine, and healthy feminine. Mm. 